Welcome back to another episode of Square One Apologetics. I'm your host, Thomas Warren, and hope you guys have had a great day so far. Thanks for joining us. We're going to have a good time today. Uh, today, we're going to be finally diving into a little bit of the evidence for the resurrection. Um, this is such an important topic. You know, this is really the the most important part of the Christian faith. You know, if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our faith is nothing. It's all vanity. So, really, the, the evidence for the resurrection is, is the most important. If we don't believe in the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, that's not Christianity. Um, that's, that's not what, what Christianity is about. That's, that's what holds it all up, really, is that Jesus is Lord and, and alive and well. So, today we're going to be talking a bit about the evidence for the resurrection. Now, Lord willing, next week we will get into the arguments that you may hear against it. Some some pretty popular ones that may sway people to not believe in the resurrection. But today we're just going to look at the evidence for it. And I'm hoping that what you'll see with this evidence is that the... The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not as silly as it may sound, that that the evidence that we see here and the arguments for it actually show that believing in the resurrection of Jesus is a fairly reasonable thing to believe. It's actually the most reasonable thing to believe, but, you know, in today's world they make you sound like an idiot if you believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, but what we'll see with this evidence is that it's far more reasonable than what the world makes it out to be. So, let's go ahead and jump right into it. So, how reliable is the New Testament claim that Jesus rose bodily from the dead? Well, when we look at the evidence from an objective lens, the bodily resurrection of Christ is actually very reasonable, and Again, we want to look at this evidence objectively. So, what is some of this evidence? Well, there's a ton of evidence. Um, the master at the resurrection, kind of the the go-to authority when it comes to evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, is a, a man by the name of Gary Habermas. If uh, if you know who he is, great. If you don't, I highly recommend him. But we're just gonna hit four today. There's plenty more. Lord willing, we'll cover more of it in the future, but truthfully, we don't have time to to cover all of it. But we're just going to hit on four today, four that I think are very powerful and that I believe can help somebody maybe not immediately come to the cross in repentance, but at least put a stone in their shoe and think, maybe I am treating the resurrection like a joke. Maybe I do need to take it more seriously and and do more thought. Um, This is a phrase that a lot of apologists use, putting a stone in their shoe. You know, whenever you have a stone in your shoe or a rock or, you know, something like that, you can't keep walking until you deal with it. So that's kind of what we want to do here is we want to put a stone in their shoe and show them that they can't really go on being an atheist or an agnostic or whatever without dealing with this evidence that you present them. And I'm hoping that um, these four pieces that we're going to talk to today will help put a stone either in somebody you knows shoe or even your own. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. The first one is Jesus's first appearance after his resurrection. We see this in uh, John 20, 14 through 17. And what we see is the people that he first appeared to was women. Um, you look in John 20, 14 through 17, Mary Magdalene, 
first person he appears to. And, and why is this so important? Well, truthfully, it's no doubt that the culture in the time of Jesus' death was prominently dominated by men. This is a very male-dominated culture. And so it, it shows that the author of the Gospels were concerned with the truth rather than deception. Because if the authors wanted to deceive the audience, it'd be significantly better to say that men saw Jesus' resurrected body first, wouldn't it? I mean, nobody's going to take the testimony of a woman seriously in these times. So really, it's, it's kind of social suicide to say that women saw the body first. In fact, this criteria for in the realm of textual criticism is known as the criteria of embarrassment. It shows that when someone reveals something that may humiliate their character or, or their reputation, it shows that they're willing to put it all on the line to get the truth across, that they're willing to humiliate, like I said, their character or their reputation or their social status to tell you the truth, to make sure that the truth has been revealed. And these writers were willing to say that women saw the body first. Why? Not because their goal was to deceive people, not because their goal was to gain political power, but because it's the truth. If their goal was to gain political power or to just you know, lie to people, it's definitely more doable to say that a man saw him first. So that's the first little thing to consider there is this criteria of embarrassment. Jesus' first appearance was to women. It's very important, and that's also a, um, a very highly supported, um, like I said, criteria within textual criticism is criteria of embarrassment. So that's the first little bit there. That's the first, we'll say it's a stone. The second one that we want to look at, the second stone, is the eyewitness accounts. Now, we're going to look at this little bit here, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. Um, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in according with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. <clears throat> now this statement, this little chunk of verses here, this is widely supported and widely believed amongst theistic and atheistic contemporary scholars to be a creedal statement that was kept by the early churches. Now, this is important because it's believed that Paul received this creed roughly five years after Christ's death. So, if this statement, this creed, was given to Paul five years after Christ's death, and he writes this, this creed down, then that shows that Christian churches existed before the New Testament was even written. Because you see, Paul goes to a church, this church has this creedal statement. Paul then writes it down, then it's included in you know the, the New Testament as we know it. So 
what that shows is that this church, before the New Testament was written, had this creed. So this church believed in Christ before the New Testament was written. Now, why am I saying this? Why does this matter? Because I don't believe the Bible solely because the book tells me to believe it. I believe it because it's historically verifiable, verifiable that these events happened and that these people existed. And it's the same for this church and um, this creed, is that these people didn't have the New Testament, yet they believed. So one of the things that bothered me when I was trying to figure out if Christianity was even true was I was really struggling with this phrase of, well, I know the Bible's true because it says it's true. Um, truthfully, that's, that's circular reasoning. You know, to say that I know the Bible's true because the Bible says it's true. That doesn't prove anything. Now, as a Christian, I, I understand and I, I believe the Bible is true and, and I understand that it is the Word of God. And so therefore, you know, I believe that it's inerrant. So I, I do believe that the Bible is true because it's the Word of God and it's inerrant. But also because there's evidence showing for its truthfulness. And these people in this creed, this early church that had this creed was stating these people in this verse as a way of saying, hey, there are eyewitnesses to the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, and if you don't believe us, that being this early church, if you don't believe us, go ask them yourself. And so then Paul writes it down as a way of pretty much telling them, hey, if you don't believe this creed, go ask the eyewitnesses yourself. He's, in essence, calling the witness to the stand. And this is so important, again, not just because it shows that these people believed that before the New Testament was written, and so therefore they, they believed in the verifiability of the, the eyewitness testimony and the um, accuracy of the claim, but again, it's also Paul calling these witnesses to the stands, and I'm you know, I'm sure people did ask some of these, for instance, these 500 eyewitnesses. And I'm sure people did go ask them. But <clears throat> if it wasn't true, then, you know, we've got all these eyewitnesses. Surely it would have been snuffed out if it was a lie. It would have been snuffed out. These eyewitnesses would have been called out, and they would have just said, yeah, it, we, we lied, or we hallucinated, or we got the wrong tomb, or whatever it may be. But that's not what happened. In fact, um, you know, he calls the eyewitnesses to the stands and all the eyewitnesses can verify, yep, we saw the risen Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is evidence for the resurrection. We are going to look at arguments, Lord willing, in the next episode. One of the big ones is hallucination theory, that being that the disciples or the 500 eyewitnesses were hallucinating at that point, and, and we'll cover that. But what you'll find out primarily with, with those arguments like hallucination theory, is that it's one thing to say that, you know, a couple people hallucinated and saw Jesus. It's another thing to say 500 hallucinated and saw the exact same thing in the exact same geographical location at the exact same time in the exact same way. That is a massive stretch. 
And um, again, we'll, we'll go over that, Lord willing, next episode. But again, Paul has called the eyewitnesses to the stand. This creed was held before the New Testament was written. So these people had the eyewitnesses, they confronted the eyewitnesses, and they saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the second stone. The third stone, um, this one's very short, actually. Um, it's just some, some of the skeptics throughout the New Testament that were changed. The first one, more likely the most popular, Paul. Um, Paul, just a, a zealot for the destruction of followers of Christ and for the Christian faith. Um, truly the, the best Pharisee of them all. However, he, you know, changes. He, he repents completely, and he goes from wanting to completely wipe out the Christian faith to writing a majority of the New Testament and dying for his faith in Christ in Rome. So you may say, well, you know, he may have hallucinated or he may have been deceived. And I, I really think that that takes a, a very large stretch to say that a man who was the Pharisee of Pharisees just completely devoted his life to something else for a mere hallucination or for a mere um, lie or something like that. that. That's a pretty huge stretch. This man devoted his whole life to being a Pharisee and to say that one hallucination took him away from that, um, I just don't, you'd have to, you'd have to do some serious footwork to prove that and to show that that, that would actually be a plausible thing to believe. Um, but that's Paul, you know, again, a man who's wiping out the Christian faith to a man who's dying for the legitimacy of the Christian faith. The next one, uh, James, Jesus's half-brother, started as a skeptic. You see that in John 7, uh, verse 5. He started as a skeptic, not, not believing in Christ's claim. You know, it's not really, it's not really that evident or um, unreasonable to not believe <laughs> that your, your half-brother is the, the God and the King of Kings and the creator of everything and um, God incarnate. I'm not, I can't really blame James for not believing that. I know I wouldn't believe it if my brother said the same thing. But, you know, he started out as a skeptic, not believing this. Next thing you know, we see in Galatians 1.19, he's a recognized apostle. And then, you know, you move to Acts 21. What do you see? He's one of the heads of the Jerusalem church. You know, he's one of the, the elders of the Jerusalem church. And then lastly, if we actually look outside of the Bible... We see in Antiquities, written by Jewish uh, historian Josephus, that he was stoned to death. So you, you have a man who went from doubting and not believing and calling out um, you know, his lack of um, faith or his denial of Christ's deity to being stoned to death for his faith. So that's quite a change among these two men. And then the last one, the last stone we want to look at is the disciples' faith. Now, this one as well, I believe, is very important because it's very straightforward, but I think it packs a punch. All of the disciples, except for one really, and that's John, died for their faith. And of course, the disciples really were men who carried out excuse me, carried out the, um, 
great commission carried out the gospel but at the same time these disciples were christ's followers so the thing that that makes us so impactful is if these are the men who are lying let's say they're lying about jesus's resurrected body it's very unreasonable that all of them would die for a lie one of them would squeal Especially when you see how some of these men were killed. You've got, you know, Peter. Um, you know, of course, a lot of people know Peter was crucified upside down. John was banished. Uh, I believe Thomas was martyred in India. So, and, and that's just three of them there. But what I'm saying is that if these men knew it was a lie, surely one of them would have admitted, yes, we made it all up. But that's not what we see throughout history. We see that these men suffered and died because they knew this was the truth and they weren't willing to lie about it because they knew it was true. So I definitely think that that packs a pretty serious punch when, when you look at it. Why die for you know, why die for something you know isn't true? Uh, that would take a, a lot of, again, digging and footwork to show that People are willing to die for something they know isn't true all the time. It's one thing to, you know, maybe if somebody was killed very quickly, but a lot of these men underwent a lot of persecution and a lot of pain and a lot of turmoil because they knew that Jesus Christ had resurrected from the dead. And, um, you know, it, it would just take one to admit that they lied, but none of them did. And so that, that I think, points to the fact that these men knew that this was true. These men believed that they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and they wanted to take it all over the world and they were willing to die for it. So those are our four stones. Um, again, we will, Lord willing, go over more stones uh, in the future. In fact, that's really what all apologetics is. Even our past episodes about you know the creation of the universe or macroevolution or um, morality or evil... These are all stones that we can put in people's shoe, but um, you know, this these are just stones related to the resurrection of Christ. And I pray that you can remember these and that you would do more digging on these. There's a lot more to this, and like I said, Lord willing, we'll go over more evidence over the resurrection. But I'm hoping next week we can really get into some of the arguments against the resurrection, just because um, there's some interesting ones out there, but they require a lot of... Um, stretching to believe so i'm hoping you all will join me for that episode as well i hope you all learned something today um thank you all again for joining me in this episode i hope you all learned something and enjoyed again if you if you have questions if you have something that wants to be covered shoot me a message on our social media and uh we will hopefully be able to cover that uh in a future episode But again, thank you all for joining. I hope you all have a great weekend. I hope you all have a great day. And uh, thank you all again. Have a great day.